Welcome to MLOps Live, a podcast by Neptune AI. We host in-depth discussions where machine learning practitioners answer questions from other practitioners about one subject related to production machine learning and MLOps. Tune in to get real-life stories, dirty hacks, and pragmatic workarounds from ML people in the trenches. Hello, everybody, and welcome to MLOps Live. This is the first ever episode. My name is Sabine, and I'm joined by my co-host, Steven. So this is an interactive Q&A session with uh, our guest today, who's an expert in the topic of today, which is building a visual search engine. So to get started, it is my pleasure to introduce you to our first ever guest, machine learning and data science engineer, Jakub uh, Cieslik. So welcome, Jakub. And would you like to introduce yourself with just a few words? Sure. Yeah. Uh, Hello, everyone. And uh, it's nice uh, to participate in this event. Yeah, I'm a machine learning engineer with uh, um, like some years of experience and uh, and building an ML products and ML, ML solutions. And uh, as it happens, the last uh, like one or two years, I specialized in building uh, visual search solutions. And uh, in general, uh, computer vision is my major uh, topic of interest in this in this field. So, yeah. So, what kinds of uh, things are you working on right now? So currently, I'm working on a pretty uh, interesting uh, interesting topic. At least uh, it uh, spikes some uh, interest every whenever I tell it to people. So I'm working on face ID for animals, essentially. So you have, uh, you can imagine you uh, using your phone and it recognizes you, uh, you know, all the uh, mobile phones now have this kind of functionality that they can recognize you based uh, based on the camera feed or the face uh, camera. And essentially a similar thing we are trying to build for, for animals where tracking animals becomes uh, more important. There are certain uh, situations where using other means of technology like uh, NFC tags, uh, writing down whatever uh, is, is being used now is not practical uh, for whatever reason. And we have the technology now, or we hope to to advance this technology to the level that uh, we will be able to identify animals on an individual level from a single or multiple pictures. All right, very cool. So not to like put you on the spot here, but we would love to hear you explain visual search in one minute, if possible, throw you a bit of a challenge. Yeah, so for me, uh, I would think of this problem as, uh, you know, any search problem, right? So when whenever we think about searching something, we want to retrieve uh, relevant information for us, right? And usually that's done via text, at least that's how we uh, used to it, uh, how we got used to it. But essentially, like visual search is just a some subset of this problem, which uses a specifically a uh, visual uh, information. So it can be a video, it can be, you know, an image, it can be a drawing, whatever it might be that is visually for humans, it's a visual thing. So that's pretty much, uh, pretty much the problem. All right. I think that did fit inside one minute. So good job there. 
Yeah, I mean it's it's interesting, uh, Kuba, your your idea on uh, visual search and search engines. And I, I would just go at a high level. What are some of the examples of you know visual search engines uh, you know you see around to, today that people typically use and they don't know what the what the technology behind it is? Yeah, so I think like this technology kind of starts popping up more and more now like and it also gets better so for instance i think like the, the prime example of this technology and uh, uh, that gives amazing results is actually google lens right which is the right. the most uh, used and probably most uh, advanced technology for that and of course it's uh, it becomes it's a very important like kind of sales way and marketing way right so you you essentially can point at anything and take a picture right. of it and google will try to find uh find it and redirect you to places usually where you can buy them and that's of course a very important reason why why this is uh why this is developed right. uh, but there are other things right so there's uh, definitely all those visual search engines pinterest is very good at this also where you Essentially, like they build the product around um, this immersive kind of, you know, feeling of just going and just looking. You not you don't have to type much. You don't. You only have to click whatever you is appealing to you, and right. then uh, and then it tries to suggest you things that you might want. Because in the end, it's very uh, like the intent is very tricky. Like when you search with an image. It's very hard to to get the intent. Like, are you looking? Uh, you know, are you interested in patterns? Are you interested in this object itself, or maybe in something completely different? Right. So usually, like, in order to make good, you know, good searches with uh, uh, visual searches, you also need some context of what the user wants. Mm, so yeah, I would say that. Um, but of course, like other things uh, that are kind of on the, on the other spectrum, like facial uh, identification. They are completely different, right? There, you essentially have only one valid uh, answer. You have a, a verification or identification problem, and this technology, you know, lies on another spectrum of of the problem. But the technology that is uh, used to solve it is actually, you know, quite uh, quite similar. Okay, and and still at the high level again, uh, do I think about visual search engines? I think of them more like a combination of different technologies. And that could be like OCR technology, that could, you know, other technologies. So, you know, am I wrong in thinking this way or, you know, what are like the different technologies that can actually make up a visual search engine? I'm not sure if I, if I get what you mean, but I think in, in terms of like combining multiple things, uh, then often what you, what you want is actually, uh, actually like use multimodal information, right? So you, you use also text, uh, that is, Provided and this is the context information and then search uh, and then the visual part itself. Mm, but okay, I'm not cool. sure. Maybe you can elaborate more on the okay. other question. Yeah. What I mean, like for example, Google Lens. Let's take taking Google Lens into account. When I think of Google Lens as a beginner, of course, I'll see Google Lens as some OCR type of technology happening in the background. So do we say like for to build a proper visual search engine, there has to be like OCR tech in there, and then there has to be some you know some other visual tech in there or what's that process about? So I don't, I think like OCR is important uh, to many okay. uh, solutions. For instance, uh, I'm, I, I don't know, maybe some of you know, like, like, like there's an app called uh, Vivino for wine uh, label scanning, right? So 
and you could do this both ways, right? So you could serve, you could probably solve this problem of matching like a, a bottle of wine with the actual bottle uh, that you want to find. You could uh, help yourself with OCR technology. So actually reading the text that is on right. the on the bottle, and that could help you, right? It probably would if there is some text. But of course, there are labels without text and and having like a combined solution or fallback solutions is quite important um, most of the time. So that's what I said that when I said that it's rarely a purely uh, visual problem. Uh, usually it's like a visual plus something problem uh, okay. in most of the cases, uh, which are not like those, uh, you know, identification, verification problems where you actually don't have any other context. All right. So just, just to be clear, uh, what distinguishes that visual search tech from like the OCR tech is the context, just understanding the context around the image, is it? Yeah. Well, to, okay. uh, to actually look at the image because mm -hmm. like OCR right. is just, uh, you know, used for uh, actually finding text, right? Finding, right. Mm -hmm. finding text and then trying to do something with text. So we, when we, uh, when we train models to do uh, visual understanding, of uh, net uh, networks that do visual understanding, we you know want more than that. We want to mm -hmm. find features, find connections in the images that are not that right. clearly. Uh, you know, it's not possible to describe them with text, also. Mm -hmm. right. And but more more importantly, we don't have text for most of the images we uh, we have in the world, right? So, yeah, exactly. Right. Thanks. That would be the. So we have in chat a question from Lev, who would like to know how Jakub feels Bing's visual search matches up with Google Lens, if you're familiar with it. Yeah, that's a good question. Honestly, I um, uh, don't know. I think I uh, didn't use Bing for, for a while. But uh, yeah, the, the Google one is for sure certainly uh, quite good. Like it's, it's actually amazing. But like recently, I, I, I was actually trying to find a, a chair, I think, in a hotel that, that I really liked. And it was just spot on uh, the first uh, first try. So out of all the chairs in the world, I think that's, that's impressive. Okay, so I think we have a, a room for a question from the community. So th this is new to me, uh, these triplet networks. What is your go-to baseline triplet network training repo? What and what might one want to look out for when using it? So triplet learning is a special type of metric learning. It's part of uh, a part of metric learning where we uh, where we try to learn a metric function, and this uh, usually goes by the means of like comparing comparing two things. For so, for instance, for faces, we could train such models that you show a network like one two pictures of the same person and uh, a third picture of another person and then a, a model that will learn to keep close uh, the, uh, the images in some space of the same person and uh, you know push it for, uh, further from the other ones. And there's actually a lot of good, uh, good frameworks for that. And uh, the one that came to my mind uh, is, in, especially in PyTorch, which I use the most, is uh, PyTorch metric, metric learning with dashes in, in between and yeah, it, it it actually implements most of the novel uh, novelties and the new uh, new solutions that uh, you might and new papers or new loss functions, whatever you, you want. And, um, and yeah, I really recommend it. It's uh, it's it's quite good. Uh, maybe we add you know a, a link to it uh, later on. Uh, but 
Mm, yeah, that would be the. So, do you have any tips for setting that up for visual search, like a, a checklist or something? Yeah, a checklist. I think I would really figure out like what what the the problem really is, right, and what uh, is being solved and how to set it up. Because some things we might want to learn from from learning, like a triplet learning um, network. Some things we might need uh, to learn from you know in a pure unsupervised fashion or from a ranking uh, uh, ranking labels so i think in the end it, it boils down to the problem to to like learn meaningful features right meaningful features from from images and what those features actually should be uh, because that's very problem problem specific right because if you think about a lot of the times like search engines are being showed like yeah, just pass pass some images through a pre-trained network, and then the features coming out of it, you know, will cluster this data somehow. And that's true, but it, if it will cluster it the way you think it it should be, is another story, right? So, for instance, if you're if the network was trained on um, you know one thousand classes, that it means that it, it is pretty good in grouping. Uh, different types of objects, but it will not be pretty good in distinguishing them. So a network, to, a model that use is pre-trained might be not be, might not be the greatest one. For instance, to rank uh, or find similar dresses, so to say, because it never understood like really the concept of different types of dresses. It might have uh, it might you know be, still be quite useful, but most of the time this type of you know additional information that we want to gain from it is needs to uh needs new data and or additional labels at least uh, so so that's uh, that's the that's the tricky part and uh, that would be the main consideration but of course we would know more about a certain problem then then you know then you can think about kuba is asking but you'd still fine tune the pre-trained on new data right yeah, certainly. Yeah, I mean, using a pre-trained network is uh, almost always the 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 way to go, right? Instead of going uh, going from uh, from scratch. Mm. So that's for that's that's for sure. And and I would just love to chime in there, Kuba. Um, uh, I think embeddings are really really important in in this space. Of course, you know, while you know building visual search engines. So, what are like your yeah, in your opinion? What are like the importance of good and you know, topic-relevant embeddings uh, when dealing with uh, visual search engine technology? Yeah, so, so I think this touches a bit on uh, on what I said before. So okay. about like, uh, it's, it is problem-specific, even though, uh, you know, uh, some very generic uh, generic search engines, uh, it might not seem so, but if, if we want to build... Uh, you know, very, very specific solutions. And I think that's how, you know, this is being used now, right? So for instance, if we want to have good recommendations for fashion, uh, then we need to focus on, on that. And uh, even very, very specific on, you know, focusing on a certain even garment type uh, to get it right. The same goes, for instance, in, in my work. Like if you would uh, just use uh, you know, pre-trained network to do embeddings of uh, cattle uh, faces, then it just uh, doesn't work at all, right? Because there's no no reason why such network would, would ever learn about what distinguishes uh, one cattle from another. And the same goes for 
uh, human human faces, like the facial fa- face ID technology that we have that works, you know, so well now. Mm, it only works because it uh, it was trained on a, a billion uh, faces. Mm, so that's why it's relevant, right? So it's not like uh, you know you have right. uh, a magic uh, magic way of creating an embedding that will work well in you know various scenarios. You, you need to control it somehow. Yeah, I, I mean, um, just following up on this real quick. I mean, those are situations where you have labels, right? You're training like on faces. You have the labels. Then how, how there, I think there are quite a number of use cases where you don't have access to labels as much as, you know, as much as you'd want to. So how would you train a very good embedding in such cases where you don't have labels to work with? Yeah, without labels. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good question. So without labels, of course, you have limited options, right? Mm, so let's say you, you want to, you know, you have a use case that is very, uh, very, new to the to compared to the data mm-hmm. to the images normally in the data sets right that you found so for instance uh, I, I don't know something from a factory uh, maybe some use case where there's limited amount of data then uh, I think the, the growing the the current approach and especially in the growing field of um, you know self-supervised uh, learning is uh, is very helpful here so you can actually improve improve embeddings and train embeddings on uh, in a self-supervised way. So essentially, you only need the data so it can be collected. And then uh, the networks, there are different, uh, there are different types of, you know, ways of how you can, how they work, like how self-supervised learning works. It can be mm-hmm. uh, like most intuitively, the most intuitive methods, um, they're not being used that much anymore, but they're, I think for explanation purposes, they are better. So for instance, you, tr- you train a, learn- a network that fills a gap of an image, right? So you cut out the gap and then you tell, yeah, what's the, what's in the gap? Or you, you let the network color uh, an image. It's also something that you can self-supervise and then uh, hopefully learn something from it. But, the, the newer approach, they use some, um, they use a bit more elaborate uh, techniques. For instance, uh, you try, uh, you essentially work with pairs of images, which one is, uh, you know, malformed a bit with augmentations. And then you, you try to learn embeddings that are the same for both images that are technically different. Uh, Right. And that's very challenging for the network because it has to understand um, the content uh, of the image. Yeah, and training on, uh, on such embeddings, uh, I mean, using such embeddings would for sure uh, improve, you know, improve, improve the, the scores or whatever your problem will be. Yeah, but, you know, there are downsides to that as well. Like, not many people, like, use it on a large scale. They are usually hard to train, right? The self-supervised uh, networks, they, they're not converging. They're, there's a lot of trickery coming going on with them and... I would say it's kind of like a last resort if you don't. Yeah, and, and it does really seem like a, a tricky problem to solve. So how's like the evaluation process? Now, how do you evaluate like that this particular model you've trained or this particular problem? You, I mean, you're kind of meeting those those requirements sort of. So you mean like in general, like how? How you evaluate, yeah, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I think like uh, most of the, uh, most of the situations will be to, uh, you know, of course it depends on whatever problem you have, right? If it's, mm-hmm. uh, if it's an, uh, like 
uh, if it's a ranking problem, then of course you have uh, some uh, some ways of assigning scores to what, what is happening. So, for instance, I would assume like uh, uh, visual search uh, such as Pinterest or Google Lens, they certainly can label it and can have some uh, some ground truth, right? So because right. They know what was clicked uh, or what the user uh, the user clicked, in you know in, in fields like identification and re-identification, we usually just use like a top one accuracy essentially is, is the most important uh, factor because like you it doesn't help if you are uh, if you're one off essentially in most cases i mean it can it can mm-hmm. be that it, it is okay uh, but uh, most of the time it is not right so uh, yeah so that would be the mm, the important thing uh, Lev wants to know, does Jakob think that integrating visual searches like Google Lens with other apps and products in an intuitive way has happened properly yet? Any thoughts? Integrating things like uh, Google Lens and making a product out of it, essentially, like on top of that. I think like a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of companies uh, definitely try to improve their this, this kind of like to shop experience, right? So, and that, that happens for sure a lot in, in, in fashion where you can, like where there's even like a big a big fashion companies such as uh, ASOS or H&M, they have it in their apps, right? So it's not like even, uh, of course, if they are not in- integrating with uh, with Google Lens, they have some inbuilt solutions for this, this problem, but they have uh, solutions for you to, you know, to scan something and uh, query their their inventory essentially so that's definitely um, that's definitely happening and uh, it seems like a very valid use case with uh, you know high value monetary value feels like a great moment to interrupt the show and give you a 30 second pitch of neptune ai okay so we help with model metadata storage and management that means you can log model metadata from anywhere in your pipeline and view results in the web app you can organize and display it however you want search debug and compare experiments data sets and models save your production ready models to a centralized registry and collaborate on your projects across the org oh and we integrate with pretty much any mlop stack just plug us right in for more go to neptune.ai or check our docs. They're pretty good. I wrote them. Hope that was 30 seconds. Back to the show. And you have some experience with uh, building visual search engines for fashion yourself? Yeah, I worked on uh, on on some solutions where we tried to mine information from, from Instagram. Uh, so essentially like building uh, an understanding and building you know, a visual, a visual search engine of uh, data that we mined from, uh, from Instagram. And that was a very, uh, very interesting use case because, uh, you know, usually like Instagram is non-searchable. So you have, you can, you know, you can do basic search, like essentially by tags and that's it. And so even, even basic text search is not really working. If you want to, you know, search through, you know, millions of or thousands of uh, Instagram profiles. So we mined this data and then ran it through, you know, some pipelines that will, that could, could give, uh, that enabled uh, visual search on, on top of them. So for instance, if you would want to query uh, the database with a certain uh, dress, an image of a dress, we, would like to see whoever and who 
posted uh, something that fits this. And that's, of course, uh, you know, important for, for various reasons, uh, like people that are responsible for, for product marketing, for, for buying, for pricing, right? So there's a lot of use cases where, you know, until from social media mm, is important, right? So we do that. We, we do this in other fields, right? Like social, social media monitoring is a thing since a while. And it now is also a, Social media monitoring when it comes to fashion is also a thing. There are companies doing only that, for instance. Like, Right. So what about when you take visual search to production? Like what to be aware of? What, what are some common problems and issues that you face there? Yeah, I would say... Mm, well, definitely one of the big, big problems is uh, that you need to be aware of the fact that changing changing the models can be quite costly and can be i think a bit more costly than it usually is in normal machine learning right because in normal machine learning if you change the model let's say that that's recommendations right uh, then for future recommendations uh, you use the new model and you don't necessarily have to change it for the past uh, or recalculate it for the past but for visual search you need to uh, recalculate every time you you want to use a new model you want to you, you have to recalculate all the stuff for all the images and imagine that doing this on a big scale might must be uh, I, I don't know how for instance google does it or for uh, for their uh, their engines how often they are doing it or if if at all like that's very hard for me to tell, but that's definitely something that you need to be aware of. If you change the model, it will change the uh, the embeddings, and you, you they're they are becoming uncomparable, right? So most of the time, right? That's mm-hmm. a critical uh, critical step. And then, of course, there's this uh, a big issue, and especially in large uh, large scale apps, is the um, kind of the database size. So if you uh, if you are acquiring through uh, you know, million pictures, maybe that's not a big deal, but querying through tens or, you know, tens of millions might might become a problem and might get expensive quickly. So there's like multi multiple ways of how to narrow it. You usually don't need and want to compare uh, against everything. Like I'm sure if I use Google Lens, uh, there's a special, you know, filter that they put on me because what all the information they already know about me that they don't have to scan against all the pictures you know so yeah that's definitely two things that are uh, super super critical so we have a a question about this uh fashion project in chat from uh olu wasun uh could you please explain the processes you used for the deployment of that fashion project using visual search if you can tell us more. Yeah, so uh, so roughly uh, there were, to, to, to this problem, there were like two components. So the, the relevant component now is like the indexing kind of part. So what happens that, because of course there are like the one part was doing like the mining and scraping of data and then ingesting it in, in some databases. And when whenever a new picture came up, we actually ran detections uh, to detect the certain garment types on the image because 
like if you think about a fashion picture on Instagram, it usually will uh, have you know multiples, uh, multiple items in it, and it's very hard to to get like uh, to build systems that have like this global understanding of fashion. Like we don't, of course, there are companies working on it, like to recommend you a full outfit or if this item fits this uh, this item but these are this is a bit of a different problem so in our case we we had models that were doing detection and segmentation first uh, of um, all the items so the items could be you know pants dresses hats t-shirts whatever essentially like all the like in the end there are not so many types of garments if you think about it like i think there were like 18 covers like a very uh very large um amount of garments so then these were uh being uh extracted from the image so you essentially can think of it that one one image gets split into n images and uh, then you need to keep track uh, and keep and keep uh, storing also those segmented parts and you also need to store uh, uh, the embeddings for those mm, for those uh, you know separate uh, items because you never know how you end up uh, retrieving them. Maybe you will just run queries against a certain type. So, for instance, if someone will want to find uh, similar dresses in all those pictures, then he will select that I'm looking for dresses, and we will only look for embeddings in this um, index, so we can narrow it down. Uh, but maybe, uh, maybe, uh, maybe not. Maybe there it would be like a, a a broader search. So essentially, you know, as you see, like once you, you know, mine one picture later, it might become actually even more more data, right, uh, than this one, and that's something to to be aware of, right. Uh, but of course, there are different strategies to that to that too. Like um, you could combine embeddings from different uh from different things to get like this global uh, global descriptor of uh, that is you know fashion uh, fashion hour but you know in in the end like this is kind of like a process of creating like a data lake but for images right that you can that you you don't know yet how you will use it uh, you need to be uh, you, you you want easy access to uh, to it, and you don't want to recompute because running segmentation and detection models is actually the one of the most you know expensive uh, moment uh, in the pipeline. So you do it once, and then think uh, think later uh, if that uh, what solutions <laughs> will work. And still on the still on the fashion industry's case, I think Andres asks a brilliant question here on YouTube. Like from the software engineering point of view, you know, how did you approach the crawling your images from, you know, Instagram, different images to build your training set. And what was that process like for you? And Yeah, that's a good question. And so that that project was done like uh, already quite a while ago. So I'm not sure if that's still valid. So that's right. Avatar, but, but yeah. I have to be straight about that because uh, Instagram, of course, is, doesn't like um, crawling and mining, right? Uh, and they right. will fight you back. Uh, but usually like the... The simplest approach is just to, to use like a, a pool of that's how it's called. I, they are called like HTTP proxies, right? So you can, you essentially rent out the service that will proxy your uh, requests um, through different mm -hmm. uh, places in the world. Uh, and from an uh, engineering perspective, that's actually quite easy because um, they give you like one endpoint uh, that you 
redirect all the traffic through. And uh, uh, usually there are services that uh, do it quite well. So they will, you know, you make one request to this specific user um, and they will redirect this request through uh, a server in, you know, in China or in other whatever country. And they will keep doing this, like keep uh, uh, balancing and keep uh, uh, using different servers. So... That's kind of, kind of works. There's, uh, until like there's a complete closure of, uh, of the API of Instagram. It, I guess that still works, right? I mean, the only thing that is not working is like if there are private accounts that you can't access without logging in, then of course, uh, it will work. But if you need to log in, then yeah, then you have a problem. Like, but we, we came up with uh, our, uh, you know, intuition was that, you know, the accounts that, uh, you know, we want to have data from are open. Right. They are from other companies. They are from big influencers, and they don't want have having the accounts private. Awesome, awesome. I think we have a really good question from the community, which I've also had in mind as well, and that's from Mashid. I hope I pronounced your name right, Mashid. Okay. Anyways, <laughs> he asked a really good question. Yeah, like what are the biggest challenges you have in you know training models for visual search? models are there like some new techniques that you try to combat them with what do you look out for you know in terms of computes the techniques you use and so forth yeah i see uh see a question um yeah i don't i don't know if i can like answer this like because it's a very uh very broad question but right i think that the most important thing is as usual like in almost all computer vision and machine learning is the the data right like Getting the data right is usually uh, the biggest uh, challenge, and I have seen this. But so, if, if you mean, if by, by data, I mean like if you are collecting data, then of course that's one problem. And if you don't, if you already have data, then labeling data in the right way. If it's semi-labeling or if it's real labeling by labeling people, then this is the critical step that you you really think need to think about much uh, a lot. I mean because uh, it can uh, be very costly if you do it wrong. And, uh, you know, like that's like the, the best uh, advice I can give because training later on depends which which models we are talking about. So for instance, triplet uh, and uh, this type of uh, triplet, quadruplet or um, CME type of networks, they are mm, relatively tricky to train. Because they have, uh, like, you have the problems of of, of sampling, uh, sampling the triplets in the right way. It kind of grows to a very big problem the more classes you also have in, in the data sets. Uh, but you know, but they are uh, for big, uh, for very large data sets. That's what you have to use. If you have like decently sized data sets, uh, you know, using the for learning uh, good embeddings. The best you can uh, you can choose from uh, is uh, essentially the networks that are being used for facial detection, uh, facial um, facial recognition. So face ID, so deep face, arc face, cos face. So they are they are those networks that that are trained like a classification network. But <clears throat> but what you uh, but but in the loss function you actually learn embeddings that are separating. Uh, uh, Separating them by a bigger margin than using regular like uh, cross entropy uh, classification. So these work work really well, and you can see that um, 
for instance, by checking uh, the recent uh, landmark identification on competitions on Kaggle, for instance, where they, are, they were also used. And the data sets are enormous uh, in, in this competition. So, and they actually, yeah, and the, the, this technology that was used for, you know, for facial uh, uh, identification actually got essentially with the same, I mean, the the, the basis was uh, was the same, of course, as usual in Kaggle. There were a mm-hmm. lot of trickery going on uh, on top of that, but the base was uh, facial uh, identification technology applied to this pro- to to problem of landmark matching, right? So you you have like uh, something that you know from the from the outside seems like completely distant problem, but you know the solutions are the same and work really well. Really well. And those those. Uh, Arc face, cost face, network state—they are actually relatively easy to train. Uh, not as easy as uh, you know, uh, cross entropy or classification, right. but close to it. So I just have two follow-ups on that, and um, maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong. But uh, I'm kind of thinking: how do you sort of select, say, your training architecture in terms of you know how you decide you're going to train? Because I assume that you deal with enormous amounts of data sets, and then you might think about preloading the data sets in like a GPU, for example, during training so that, you know, you're loading those in batches. So how do you determine, oh, I'm going to be training this, say, on like multiple clusters uh, versus just, you know, what? how do you kind of, when you're dealing with large data sets, how do you determine how that training process would, would look like? Mm, yeah, I think like here, you know, the, the limitation uh, when it comes to training and this uh, problem is the, especially when, uh, when we talk about this arc phase or, classification like network is that right. that in the end uh, the amount of labels you know that you have so let's say you have 1 million uh, IDs or people or landmarks in your data set so that means that uh, your uh, uh, your less layers are getting really big uh, in the network right. and there's not very much you can do about it if they don't fit in one uh, model, then you do model, uh, you know, you split model on, on, on multiple devices and you still keep training it. And that's what people do uh, if they have to, uh, to train on, on millions of IDs, which is, which is already quite significant, um, I would say. Mm, but the other networks, like if you, uh, if you want to go more in this, you know, met- metric learning approach with training with triplets, then there is no limitations. I mean, the, the biggest limitation will be the batch size then, which, mm-hmm. you know, you can, doesn't have to be uh, crazy big, but you are not having such a big model and that's more right. important. Uh, so. Yeah, we have a few questions from the community, but uh, I would just love to ask, are there like common transformation methods you know, you you use a lot more than others in the space when you're running those transformation of scale. The transformations, uh, in in and what what in, in terms of like your data augmentation processes and so forth. Yeah, I don't think there's really a rule for that. I think okay. mm-hmm. now now nowadays uh, what we what you see definitely um, shining, and when it comes to uh, for instance Kaggle, and uh, in my experience also is that. Those uh, cutout uh, methods got more attention than they ever did. Um, they are also quite new, so essentially like cutting out um, parts of the images, and they are being used um, used uh, used quite a lot. But right. other, other than that, augmentation is always a case of the data you have, right? So, for instance, much. Uh, yeah, 
for instance, for animal pictures that I use, uh, I need to be very careful about what mm-hmm. what 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 doesn't make sense and what uh, transformation makes sense. And if you have huge amounts of data, then you also you know you can use less, uh, right? Uh, Mm-hmm. augmentation like for instance for this landmark if you if anyone is interested in whatever new is going on i think in visual search and matching then those competitions are really a good resource to learn and you see that uh, the augmentation and in, in the last visual landmark matching competition was very small like they used very basic uh, and very uh, in very low degree i sort of say augmentations yeah, we have some uh, users here in chat asking for advice. We have uh, Chima Obian asking about building an image validation system for an online marketplace platform. I will try to like figure it out uh, what this problem might be. So what I see as a problem in a, in a marketplace, like that you, let's say eBay or whatever, and you have the problem that you might face there is that the number of categories is not constant, right? So that 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 is a valid problem because if it uh, if it's not constant, that means that uh, that means that you can't just use simple classification, right? Because otherwise, like I would say, like okay, I'm selling a, a ball, it gets classified as a ball, and then then it helps in some UI, right? So in case of uh, uh, of a new category. You wouldn't have you wouldn't support it right away, and if you uh, use like any metric learning or similarity approach, what you could do is that you, you would need only one instance of uh, of a new category. So when someone adds something, he didn't find the category, but he uh, put in what the valid category or some one who manages the, the the website did it, and then we have one image. Uh, that is uh, that is uh, associated with the new category, and that that's the typical problem of one one shot learning. And then we could do this with good embeddings, right? Uh, so instead of doing this as a classification problem, uh, we, what we would do is that we would in the future compare a new picture with uh, with images from all the categories and choose the closest one, and then you have uh, solved the problem of. A changing number of categories. That's that's what I that, that's the problem I see in the marketplace. But maybe this person can elaborate if that's what uh, what what they meant. Yeah, we have the person with us here in the call. All right. So what I'm asking is, you have just like Amazon, people upload pictures of their products, what they sell yeah. online. Now, you know, some people might make a mistake of maybe they want to upload um, a laptop. And then they are calling, they are naming the laptop a pencil, which is misleading. Now, how do we validate these uploads, knowing that there are n number of products? We don't know what particular mm. product this person might be uploading at a particular time. Doesn't mean we have to keep downloading products categories uh, just to view the model like that. Okay, so how I understand is that the, the problem uh, is said that you a user makes a mistake by uh, by selecting a category and then the picture is not reflecting this category. Is this is this this the the situation? You you are you are muted. Yeah, this is the yes, situation. Yes. So essentially, yes. but, but now you know, yeah, but now you know here the categories are products are too many. 
so building uh, a machine learning model for this uh, doesn't mean we have to download all kinds of uh, images for this, uh, for our validation, for training our model. Mm-hmm. That's, what, that's what I mean. So if I'm, uh, if I'm, yeah, I'm trying to figure out if if uh, if I get the if I get the problem. So, in a in a situation that, what well, what do you mean by by down downloading? Uh, I mean, because that, that seems to me like this is a, either a classification problem or a or a comparison, so similarity problem. So either either one could validate the input against a category, right? If you have uh, the models trained for that task, so. I'm not sure if, uh, hmm, yeah, I'm not sure if uh, if I if I get this uh, this question. Maybe, maybe there's someone who uh, uh, who has a take on that. Like uh, maybe someone understood this differently, uh, or and can. Um, Is it maybe a question of how to go about building the the data, the data set that you would need for for training the models in the first place and validating? I'm sure. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, um, are we going to download? Uh, are we going to acquire data of different categories? Knowing that tomorrow somebody might just come up and upload uh, a category that is not in maybe in our data, like particular product that was not trained. Our model wasn't trained on. That's what I'm asking. How do we now validate this? Is there a way to train a model to? Yes. Mm, I mean, so I I think that that. That what I said before is still uh, kind of valid for 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 this. Uh, so, in the end, for a fixed number of uh, classes, you ha- you can work with a classification for for a number of for classes that are not fixed. So, essentially, categories in your uh, situation, then uh, you would essentially figure out the embeddings for for this new image, and you would see that that it doesn't fit any of the categories uh, pretty well and or the distance would be uh, by would be would be far by a, a large margin and then you could uh, maybe make the call that hey maybe that's uh, maybe there's no match between uh, this category and this you know image so that that would be uh, i think the uh, a valid valid approach uh, for that thank you for the question and thanks kuba just as we're looking to to wrap this up, Kuba, are there like current say landscape for you know vector similarity tools and solutions that you know we should look out for? And then you know what's the research angle? How's how's research going on in that area currently? Yeah, I mean there are like uh, for for vector similarity, uh, there's a bunch of solutions now, varying um, mm-hmm. from you know some of them being. Uh, you know, paid some free open source. Uh, they all have some, you know, quirks to it. Uh, but uh, some of them are built on top of, you know, already existing databases. And uh, and I think like the t- I, what I would, uh, you know, recommend for everyone, anyone starting in this is that, you know, if you're not, uh, if you're not, you know, reaching like some gigantic scale, so like million plus uh, vectors that you need to search through. I think those uh, solutions that use uh, a database that you already have, most likely, so for instance, Postgres, there's definitely an engine built on, po- on Postgres. There's there are engines built on, they are not official, of course, but they are like services that are using um, some database as a, the, the persistent uh, layer. 
And I would use them uh, if, if, if it fits what you have already in the stack, right? Because it's always nice to have those embeddings um, uh, stored in, in a place that he, you know, mm. that is, that, that other data is because it will give you more, uh, you know, options to, uh, for querying. And if you have like really big, uh, and you know that you will go big, then you can, you can buy managed services for that and, uh, pay for, pay, then, then you need to pay for each index. Mm, so for each, uh, usually for each index, uh, and for the amount it takes. In memory, because most of them will be running from RAM, right? So right. you you need big instances uh, for you know big uh, indexes. And the build versus buy solution is you know one of the talking points in the and you know software uh, industry as well. And uh, just talking about your your day to day workflow, you know what's like the basic tool stack you use. You know what's like how how does that, the technologies you use to when working with. Um, one building visual search engines. What's like your tool stuff? What's your tool stuff like? Yeah, so I use uh, Python, yep. PyTorch, and uh, for for similarity, I tried. I think I tried like most of the the big the big um, providers now. Um, so Mavis is quite uh, quite nice from the managed um, managed solutions. Uh, Pinecone is. Is also quite uh, quite a good uh, a good choice. So, and yeah, besides that, uh, for day to day stuff, um, Python, PyTorch, Face, Fast API builds most of the of the stuff I uh, I'm currently uh, currently building. Um, so yeah. yeah, and I think another issue that that's regularly discussed as well is uh, you know thinking about building stuff that scale to whatever problem we are solving. Uh, in terms of moving from that approach of building a baseline um, system that works to something that scales to see a lot of users, for example, maybe not Google scale or you know Yahoo, um, Bing scale or things like that, but something that works for uh, our users. How do you move from? How do you transition from just building like that proof of concept to something that scales? You know, how do you make that transition, or what should you know while making that transition? <laughs> Yeah, I think like uh, a proof of concept uh, would be an. Uh, uh, I would say like uh, I, I, let's assume that uh, for that proof of concept mm-hmm. can be uh, you know a simple thing that you hack together in, in a Jupyter notebook and your right. index of embeddings is actually in memory in NumPy and you just do a dot product uh, <laughs> with a query and that's it and mm-hmm. uh, that's that can be your very very much baseline. Um, situation and then whenever you move, then you need to think about like uh, things like uh, you know how how will you start working on the on the models uh, itself? How you need to keep thinking about you know persisting and updating uh, embeddings, right? So whenever you ship a new model, you need to keep you need to slowly you know automate the the pipelines that you have. And of course, if you reach like a very big scale, then then you need to think about uh, all the scalability issues of this problem, which is uh, usually, I would say, maybe not a big problem is under okay. statement, but there's there's solutions that help you with that, right? So mm-hmm. either managed or not, but uh, or you, you. So, for instance, if you there are, there are, uh, there are you know uh, vector search engines that you can just deploy 
uh, in as a helm chart and you are ready to okay. go almost right and you have your own so uh, you know service to integrate with and that's of course uh one way of of doing it right but yeah mm, i think um the scale of the query size is right. of your data sets is probably even more important because it will it will determine how much you need to re recalculate everything and how often, which is right. I, I think we're, we're of course running out of time, but this is a a really good conversation. I think you can continue in the uh, in the MLOps community. So, listeners, viewers, if you're not yet if you've not yet joined the MLOps community, you know, please check the show notes or you know, check the chats right here. But I think it's good, Sabine. Yeah, we'll be wrapping up here today. So no worries if you didn't get your question answered. You can always reach out to us in uh, Slack, in the Computer Vision channel, or in the Neptune AI channel. But thank you very much to everyone who asked questions. And thank you very much, Jakub, for joining us and uh, answering all our burning uh, visual search questions. Sure did. <laughs> <laughs> So we will be back in two weeks with our next episode of MLOps Live. We will be having Jacopo Taliabue on to discuss all things reasonable scale MLOps in, in two weeks. So hopefully we will see you then. Thanks again very much to everyone. Take care. Thanks. Bye. All right. Thanks. See you in a couple of weeks. Bye-bye. MLOps Live is brought to you by Neptune AI. Remember that you can join us live at the next event and ask your questions. We run it every other Wednesday and you can register at neptune.ai slash events. And then make sure to search for MLOps Live in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and anywhere you get your podcast. Click follow and don't miss any episodes. Thanks and see you next time.